Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Dr. Sammy D. Kim is a Harvard-trained ethicist and co-founder of 180 Church NYC. He is a Yale Hastings Scholar at the Yale Interdisciplinary Center for Bioethics and the Hastings Center, where he explores the inequities surrounding health, immigration, and social policies, along with professional burnout. He is also a regular contributor to Christianity Today. For more information, please visit his website at samdkim.com. Again, we'll be practicing the rule of life. Let's first exhale all the anxieties, every heaviness. Breathe that out and we'll be breathing in the presence of God. Let's breathe out first. We breathe out all the toxicities, everything that harasses and blocks us from the presence of God in this moment. And let's breathe in the faithfulness and the reassurance of his presence and his work even behind the scenes and his goodness. And I'll be reading from Jesus Calling and it's written in the voice of Jesus. I am with you. These four words are like a safety net, protecting you from falling into despair. Because you are human, you will always have ups and downs in your life experience. But the promise of my presence limits how far down you can go. Sometimes you may feel as if you are in a free fall, when people or things you had counted on let you down. Yet, as soon as you remember that I am with you, your perspective changes radically. This is exactly the perspective you need, the reassurance of my presence and the glorious hope of my son. Amen? Please be seated. Welcome everyone joining us online and in person. That mic is really loud, guys. I sound like the voice of God. (laughs) We're celebrating Lent this season. It started this week. And today, I want to explore together the value of developing the sacred habit of paying attention to God's presence in the humdrum of the very ordinary. In Jekta's position to last week's message, which was primarily about paying attention to life's swings, and extremes. Last week, we explored together the more prominent moments in our lives that underscore our failures and victories. Usually, the microcosm of our lives consists of those highs and lows, the monumental moments, the blunders, those those expotic, um, episodic moments that sort of would make it to a reel And if they did, the bloopers would be laugh-out-loud funny, and the highlights would be worth celebrating. Yet, here's the caveat. Although those big moments are critical and worth celebrating and informative, we must remember that most of life is lived out in the humdrum of the very ordinary. And if we only pay attention to life's swings, we tragically end up missing what? Most of life. Our own. And the lives we want to love the most. 
In short, our life becomes a blurb, blurry, nothing really to remember. And I realize that this is a radical departure from the cultural norm that we live in today. Because the only thing reported on the news are life swings and the extremes. We're, we're formed by the culture for its passion for sensationalism, for what is sensational, and perfectionism, record-breaking. What's reported in the news is a former president being indicted 91 times. That's what makes it to the news. Or I put this picture up, a president, another president, congratulating a female superstar for breaking a record for the most points ever scored in women's college basketball. So what we pay attention to instinctively are those extremes. And tragically, we're formed that way to only pay attention. The currency of attention is given to those extremities. So we're discipled by culture to pay attention only to those wings. Whether we are conscious of it or not, this exaggerated environment becomes the air we inhale and exhale and influences the way we live. So what happens then? Somehow, as a result, our struggles and victories become minimized. The nagging question becomes, are our struggles and victories warrant concern? Should I really bother someone with this? It's not that big. Should I really share this, that I lost one pound? It's not that big. So everything is minimized compared to the passion for sensationalism, for what is scandalous versus, and perfectionism, where what you see on the news is Steph Curry breaking records for most three-pointers, nine three-pointers, four or five games or another athlete breaking a record. Patrick Mahomes winning back-to-back -back Super Bowls for the first time in 20 years since Brady. We pay attention to these extremes. Then we missed most of life where life is what? Lived. And here it is. Lent affords us an incredible opportunity to slow down. Tell someone next to you to slow down. To move away from the city and the bright lights like Jesus' life and go into the wilderness, go into the valley, go away from the extremes, into fasting and prayer, into solitude, to reflection. Everybody here that's here today, present together, want to follow God with all their hearts, strength, soul. But a lot of times we're pulled and pushed by the cultural neurosis that focuses on those big things, those prominent moments. So we end up, again, 
missing the sacred and the ordinary. Because let me tell you, there is no ordinary days. You know why? It's hidden. Tell someone next to you, it's hidden. The kingdom of God is all about hiddenness. It's all about how he lives. Why does God live in the humdrum of the ordinary? Why is God's present in the humdrum of the ordinary? Because that's where we live. God is not moved by highlights and bloopers. He's there for it all. And that's why the theme of this season of Lent is what? All my life. Take over. So that's the question we want to answer today. Why does learning to pay attention to God's sacred presence in the ordinary matter? So let's learn, turn to our text and be formed how we can pay attention and why it matters. When you come to this passage in Luke 10 about Mary and Martha and Jesus, and of course, you know, if you know scripture a bit, you know that Lazarus is their brother. And this family, the patriarch is Martha. The younger sister is Mary, and the brother is Lazarus. The parents have passed. And why this passage is, I think, powerful and poignant for Lent is because it's not about a large-scale cosmological event. It's not the birth of Jesus. It's not the death of Jesus. It's not the resurrection of Jesus. It's a domestic dispute about cooking and cleaning the humdrum. It's about the everyday stuff that we do at home that no one really cares about. But Luke records it a very ordinary day in a very ordinary way. And that's the question you should ask. In verse 38, we read, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened their home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself, tell her to help me. Okay, wait, let me read that correct exclamation. Tell her to help me, right? The exclamation point. You know, there is a rule in writing. Never use an exclamation point. Why? Describe it correctly. You don't need to yell at people who are reading. Their ears might hurt. I mean, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, you're not supposed to use an exclamation point, but... Luke wanted to emphasize the tension in the room. But, but here's the question, right? Why does Jesus himself, I know you should never get involved in a women's dispute. If, if two, three women come to me and ask me about their argument, I would never, be like, oh, no thanks, pass. Because you lose either way. One person will hate you. They might both end up hating you. 
And it's about something so trivial, so petty, about responsibilities, washing or preparing food. Who makes the coffee? So why does Jesus get himself involved in something so inconsequential like a domestic dispute? Why is Mary sitting there? She was glued to what Jesus was saying. Yes, culturally, her duties were supposed to help her sister, where all the men were. But why does Jesus get involved? Because it wasn't inconsequential to Mary. It was important to her. And Mary wasn't inconsequential to Jesus. It's so nuanced and ordinary, but it mattered to Jesus. Let's put this picture up here. I've learned something about, this is my youngest son, Josh, of what is inconsequential in life, in domestic life. Josh and I have watched now every single Marvel movie that has ever been made together in the movie theaters. The problem with this is that Josh has to go to the bathroom for four or five times every Marvel movie. And so we created a rhythm of tradition of racing to the bathroom. And I always still win. Believe it or not, I am faster than Josh. And Josh's like, Dad, this, you're old. This is not, you're not supposed to beat me in a race. I said, short distances, I could win, bro. And so, we watched Madam Web this past week. I don't know what pe critics are saying, but we love it. Go watch it. Women superheroes make sense to me. Makes a lot of sense to me. Now, so we did the same thing, running to the bathroom backwards, forwards, laughing, having a good time, creating memories together. And after the movie, I was unguarded and sort of out of it, right? Because the movie was great, popcorn, chicken tenders, then Chipotle afterwards. So we're leave so you're unguided when you're leaving the movie. These are inconsequential moments of life. And Josh was coming out and, and he started talking to my wife and me and said, you know, this is I really like this Marvel movie, the best Marvel movie like for at least the last two years. And he started telling us the story of Madame Webb and how he saw it before. And then I interrupted him very rudely because I wasn't really listening or paying attention. And I said, Josh, can you please, I gave him the cup of soda, cutting him off. And I said, can you please get some more grape soda? Well, I didn't say please, get some more grape soda. Kind of put it on. And he was really hurt by that. But I didn't really see it. My wife was like, say sorry right now. And Josh was sort of a little bit choked up by it. Because his voice was interrupted. He was trying to explain something. Now, I could have trivialized this, right? Well, I said, come on, man. What's the big deal? But I quickly said, oh, Josh, Josh, I'm so sorry. I'll go get the grape soda. Do you want something else? Why? In a relationship, a particularly close relationships, there's no trivial things. Little hurts matter, no matter how small they are. Misunderstandings matter. 
And sometimes in a culture of sensationalism, go, that's no big deal. But I saw the hurt on his face. And we got it over quickly and we forgot about it. Why? Because I took ownership and I apologized. Why? Why did, why did I not make a big deal of it and apologize immediately? Because it matters to Josh. And Josh matters to me. So here's the question of Lent pertaining to the little things in our lives that I want to ask. Put the question up here. And the question is, do you tend to minimize your struggles? Well, like, you know, I'm not struggling like suicide ideation or anything. Just a little, you know, it's a little bit of here and there. Because if you minimize your struggles, you're minimizing how much God really cares about your humdrum life the ordinary things, the little things, the little concerns. And this is probably why we minimize other people's struggles too. Because we're shaped by the culture's neurotic obsession with what is newsworthy, what is important, what is significant. And you can see in the life of Jesus, he was able to slow down and care about very little things. That's who Jesus is. And that's why the gospel is good news. Because God doesn't just care about the highs and lows. He cares about the most, even the small things. Not just the big, not just the failures and wins but all. God doesn't minimize our struggles. That's why he's good. Amen? So first lesson we learned, why, why cultivate this habit of paying attention to God's sacred presence every day? Because what? Read it with me. Because our struggles, what? No matter how small it matters to God, because you matter to God. God never minimizes. So why didn't Jesus just ignore or omit himself, remove himself from this conversation? He didn't want to minimize Mary's struggle. No matter how domestic or trivial it might have seemed in context to his larger mission. Because Mary wasn't inconsequential to him. And if you remember, the shortest verse in the Bible is for Mary. John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept because of Mary. That's powerful. That God cares about all of our lives, not just the big things. So that's the first thing, because our struggles, no matter how small, matters to God. That's how. That's why it matters to pay attention to the ordinary. Second, let's read here verse 41 to 42. Jesus 
responds to this domestic abuse, this domestic not abuse, but um, affairs, and says, uh, "Martha, Martha." The Lord answered, "You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better." And it will not be taken away from her. And you got to really think about this in context, about this domestic dispute between two sisters and cultural tensions. We're really, what we're really talking about and arguing about is about Mary sitting somewhere. You realize this, right? We're talking about the action of sitting. She's not doing anything but sitting somewhere in a place. But why did Jesus defend Mary? Not take away from her this action she chose. And in, in the end, said that what she chose and celebrated it applauded her decision in front of the men of the culture. And this is the thread in Scripture where we see Jesus is a champion for women's rights, inequality, and even leadership and prominence in the life of the community of faith. Because no matter how small that action was, it was not teaching or healing or doing miracles, it was just sitting a cultural clash of the day. Because Jesus did not want to minimize what? Her progress. Her growth. He applauded her progress. No matter how small it seemed. Now for a culture that has a passion for perfectionism where presidents tweet about record-breaking things that athletes do, in the NBA, WNBA, the NFL. How do we navigate the small victories of our lives with people we love most and sharing these, those moments? For me, I'm a Korean American 1.5 generation. I wasn't born in the States. I came here when I was seven. I was a Korean citizen, naturalized, right, because of my parents. But I was taught perfectionism since I was zero, from the womb. I was taught perfectionism. I, I remember just in the States, and I talk about this, 99, I, I'm sure you might relate to this, but was not rewarded, it was yawned at. I got 99 at a test, particularly a math test, 99, fail. It was a failure. It's like, that's an F, find a new family. It was a complete failure. The only thing that was award, rewarded in, in our household from junior high to on was, you need to get 100, 100, deserves money. I would get money every single time I got 100. So 
this sense of perfectionism entered my life very early on. And it bled into every part of my life, really, until Jesus taught me brokenness, to embrace it, and failure. But I'll tell you a moment, in high school, you know, when I was in the best shape of my life, and I play with the guys basketball here, but if I was 16 again, I would smoke you. I would cook you. But that was only hypothetical, but I would cook you. In a basketball tournament, I was a ringer that I was brought on to another team. And in this basketball tournament, we were favored to win. Because, of course, I was on the team. And tragically, we didn't win first place. When we lost that game that we would forfeit the grand prize, the first place, after we lost, all of us were walking out the door because we would only now get third place. We started just walking out the gym. And I was like, dude, I'm not, I didn't come here for third, I came here for first. And I said, let's go. So we all started walking out. The officials had to stop us from leaving the gym. And we grudgingly went to the podium. I was like, third place is not win. And I still chronically struggle with this issue of not getting first place or the grand prize, even with my books. I won four awards in my book. Recently, I just got this a new award this week. And I found out that Henry Nowen won this award for ministry the Illumination Book Award for Gold Medal Ministry. So I wanted to win the gold too. But I won the bronze. Third place. And when I heard the news, and, and being just vulnerable and honest with you, I didn't know how to feel. I'm like, I was happy I was recognized for my work. But kind of sad that I went gold. And it was a very domestic day, a very ordinary day. We went with the boys to get their passports. It was going to expire. And I told my family what happened. And they're like, oh, we should celebrate. And, you know, it was in the back of my mind. But I don't know if I felt like celebrating. It didn't really sink in until this moment happened. At Outback, I went to the bathroom and coming back. And suddenly, there was a cake with a candle. And my son Nathan's the one with, with his mom, said, my dad won an award for a book. Can we celebrate this? Of course, they didn't pay for it. We have to pay for it. <laughs> but here, and here is sort of the... the where the rubber meets the road in our perfectionism and in our neuroses that's influenced by the culture and by our own family of origin, I did not understand at that moment when I came back and I told the waiter and my family, it's not my birthday. 
what are, what are you doing? And then Nathan said, Dad, it's for your book. Because it completely slipped my mind. Jesus celebrated Mary's progress and journey and the path she was on, even though it wasn't large or perfect. And I myself at Lent is learning to recognize this, combating this perfectionism that demand more and more perfection and submitting that part of me. I'm not sure if you relate to that. Of course you do. So that's the question, why? Why should we develop a habit of paying attention to God's sacred presence in a very ordinary? Well, second lesson we learn is what? It's the inverse, the contrast to the first, because our wins, no matter how small, matters to God. Last week, as a disclaimer, I talked about the major victories of our lives, the record-breaking things. And I, don't, I didn't want us to think that that's the only things we celebrate or God celebrates. God celebrates not just the big things, but He celebrates our lives in totality. He celebrates all. So the question as we move into Lent is this question for all of us. Are we allowing our cultural neurosis to, to determine what we should celebrate? Are we allowing the culture to set what is significant? What is worthy of praise? What is worthy of concern? No. It's the heart of Jesus. It's the heart of God that has to be our anchor. It's the measure. That's our anchor and foundation. So I pray that the Holy Spirit would show us those tensions that pat our culture's passion for the sensational and perfection to resist it and allow the Holy Spirit to shape us. Amen? Let's stand and pray together. Our theme for Lent this season is all my life take over. Not just the losses and the wins, but all life, our whole lives. Because what brings pain and destruction and hurt to others is when we live a selective life, which moves back to the idea of integrity, living and inviting God to touch our whole lives, to take over, to take over our whole lives and come live in us. 
And when we observe the life of Jesus through the lens and the drama of Lent, we see his whole life on display. He cared about the domestic things, the little things, but he also cared about the big things. So will you spend a moment today inviting the Spirit to take over our whole lives? Here I am waiting. Let's make this our prayer for Lent. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you this afternoon. We thank you that unlike the culture, you care about our whole lives. Help us not just turn to you in our highs and lows, but every day you're there 
and present in the ordinary. When we rise, when we sleep, when we eat, you are waiting to meet us. And no matter how small our concerns or even our progress might seem, you care about our journey and direction. You care about our story. And I thank you that the gospel is such good news because you care more about our growth than our outcomes. More about who we become than what we accomplish. Because ultimately, you care about us. We matter to you. We pray this thread in this 40-day journey would shape seeing your presence in the hiddenness of the humdrum. And we would see beauty, the beauty of your heart in those little things. And it will transform how we see you and how we see ourselves. We bless this journey. Will you bow your heads today for the benediction? May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. All God's people pray. God bless you as you go to your journey of Lent. Amen.